Welcome to the Stone and Sober podcast. We're here today with Dan McCroy, author of Capitalism Killed the Middle Class, 25 Ways the System is Rigged Against You. How are you doing today, Dan? Excellent. Excellent. Tremendous. Obviously, the first thing we should ask you is, is about your book. What, what inspired you to write this? Well, I was, um, I, I grew up poor and I got into the middle class and got a good paying union job. And uh, that, that was thanks to my union, and uh, as a way to give back for all those uh, years of uh, making decent pay, I decided I uh, would run for office. So I ran for office, but as they say, if you're out marching and there's no one behind you, you're just out for a walk. So, <laughs> uh, so instead of doing that, I decided to sit down and write all the stuff that I had learned about the labor movement, about the middle class, into a book. Yeah. And uh, in the process of writing my memoirs, I realized this has got to be relevant to the next generation. Uh, so I started delving into things like uh, the gig economy, universal basic income, not to mention the holdovers from my generation, the uh, criminal injustice system, um, healthcare, housing, all those kind of subjects. I covered a lot in the book, and its um, main premise is that the uh, labor movement can save the middle class. Okay. Okay, interesting. Uh, how in in what specific? Obviously, yeah. this, we don't want to spoil everything of your book. <laughs> but in what, in what specific way do you mean of that? Obviously, there's a lot of people because in, in England specifically, there's a lot of shrouded around the word labour. Obviously, our political our labour our political parties called labour are left wing. What what do you mean specifically by labour unions in 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 much more organised fashion? Well, what we've seen is a disconnect between the labour movement and. Uh, the middle class, and uh, that has been to the detriment of both. And what uh, the labor movement needs to do is reorganize and uh, be um, able to represent more and empower more of the, of the working and middle classes. And um, the way I see that happening is uh, education and um, more action. And uh, we have to, I did a webinar this this last summer called a rebuilding union. And what I said is uh, what I asked were three basic questions. What does the union movement get right? What do they get wrong? And how can we best adapt to um, empower more people? And I got, I got some interesting answers, but uh, the, the main ways we can do it is we can steal from what uh, the big business has done. And that's uh, to, um, to teach our children, to teach our uh, college folks, and to um, create more think tanks so that we can answer uh, the questions and the concerns of working people. Um, you, I'm a, I study economics at a university, and I... I know you're going to be tough. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you say, like, trade uh, uh, unions, you're talking about, like... Um, like the labor unions, like education, exactly. like teachers and stuff like that, like the teachers union, stuff like that. I, I'm i not actually a great uh, fan of unions. I don't think they work personally. Um, 
a, a great a so? great example of it was actually the university strikes. Oh yeah, uh, we had loads of uni- university strikes last year. Um, mm. I, f- I think some people, what was it, for like three months of strikes? I know Billy, you you had strikes, didn't you? We had four months of strikes on and off consistently, in which we had no outcome with it. Obviously, and COVID yeah. just brushed it under yeah. the rug. Yeah, I yeah. think <laughs> what you're saying essentially is that they don't really have. Obviously, unions don't have enough power. They don't have enough power. And that's true. We've lost our leverage because mm, our numbers have dwindled yeah. so much. Mm. And uh, the strike is the, our last resort when you've come to an impasse at the uh, bargaining table. That's all we leverage that we have left is to walk out and deny the corporation or the or the agency our uh, our actual power. Yeah, yeah. Why, work. Why? Why do you think it is that um, unions have dwindled over the recent decades i mean i don't know if there's one reason do do any of you guys know well, there is one we're uh, victims of our own success okay uh, yeah. what we've managed to accomplish uh politically has sort of uh put uh, all the uh, job actions that we did um negotiations and w- walking out picket lines things like that sort of put those in the back seat as far as affecting us but what we're seeing now is that uh in one day we can have whatever gains that we've made uh, taken away from us if it's a law. Yeah, mm, I see. Certainly, obviously, and especially you've seen with the trading back and forth politically of neoliberals in America. I mean, you're, you're going to, especially Biden's election. Uh, that comes into another question. As someone, from what I've gathered from looking into your work, what was your opinion on Bernie Sanders and, and the movement, he, the grassroots movement he brought behind him? I feel like you'll have a very interesting insight on that. Yeah, Bernie Sanders uh, epitomizes everything that uh, the uh, uh, millennials, I guess you might say, uh, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party wants to accomplish. Uh, We uh, have certain principles, and we saw Bernie is sticking to those principles, whether it be a a raise in the minimum wage or health care for all or um, uh, being able to to unionize in a traditionally non-union uh, uh, workplaces. And uh, well, I took all those myself to heart and uh, I was uh, what they would ca- what they call a Bernie crap. And I still <laughs> am. And I've uh, gone from being a liberal to a progressive because I realized that without principles, you don't have anything. It's true. Yeah. Uh, just to touch into that a bit more, what, what specific principle, I imagine your, your somewhat social democracy and in, in you, you look at the Nordic model in a positive light. What specific policies from there would you love to implement into America, especially as a country? I mean, you're, you don't have maternity leave, et cetera. There are some aspects in which you are, I don't want to say behind, behind. but in, in uh, behind. That would be a good yeah. word for it. Yeah. <laughs> behind, yeah. It's, it's perfectly. Yeah. Um, I see we need something like the NHS. I know you guys have some problems with yours, but uh, that would go so far in uh, taking that off the bargaining table, for instance, you could bargain for higher wages if you didn't have to worry about making sure that your healthcare was covered because it would already be covered under a federal law. Uh, That's one way. Uh, Tuition-free college is another. A lot of people call it free college here, but it's not. It's, you still have to pay fees, still have to buy your books, Mm. buy lodging, but uh, tuition-free college would be a real investment in our next generations. And I think that's really important in order to uh, put us back on top, so to speak. Mm. I, I really believe in education. I think education is the 
um, roots of everything. It's it's mm-hmm. like the life and blood of everything. The great equalizer. It is without. Yes. Um, but then, but then, if you look on the, the on the flip side of it, I think we really have to educate the young children, the below sixteens, give them the free education. But then maybe when you get above eighteen and you start looking at higher education, such as universities Uni. and getting degree. Um, the the whole free side of it, or or subsidies from governments and stuff, to me doesn't sit right because it's it can if everybody is allowed to get a degree, everybody's got mm-hmm. an economics degree or everybody's got an uh, uh, an art degree. It, doesn't it kind dilutes of it, it, it dilutes the, the market? Raw, it dilutes the market. Yeah. Like, it, it it takes away that. Um, well, you're always. You're always going to have students though that don't want a degree. Yeah, that, that's uh, They like working with their hands. Yeah. So th- we want to uh, open up the trades for them too, so they can be an apprentice, a car- uh, apprentice carpenter, or something like that. Mm. That uh, they would yeah. be more in, uh, inclined to to do in the first place. And uh, so we're opening up uh, up all possibilities for everybody. going to impact uh, like jobs in the working class and the middle class because me and Carlos talk about AI quite a lot and artificial intelligence because oh, yeah. that's going to revolutionize the, the, the even the capitalist um, system that we have that we have in place now that's going to revolutionize even that so how yeah. do you think AI is going to touch um, aspects of the political systems and the middle class well, everything in general because it's, it's looking to be the next it's, it's going to be the fifth industrial revolution uh, ai and and billy's got this idea that it's going to totally destroy the working class i just i think yeah yeah i would sorry a lot of ways as well i just think i'm scared about uh, sorry can i i just say go ahead i I just worry about the the because you obviously as automation comes in it tends to get rid of these lower paying jobs the minimum wage jobs stereotypically as in machines in mcdonald's getting rid of workers there or self-driving cars i mean in america the most the, the most prominent job in america is truck driving and yeah. a gps car would, would completely wipe out that industry and these people aren't earning hundreds of grand a year these are people that if they lose their job tomorrow they would need to rely on the state and they would need help and under the current system as it is currently constructed it, it's not going to work so we would need to completely revamp the system or we would have to just delay progression that's how i've, I've well seen. universal basic income is supposed to help some of that uh, offsetting it by uh, providing people with a basic uh, amount of money on which to live and then those that that uh one, two can go uh, seek out uh, employment also, but still have that, uh, that nesting yeah. sitting there helping them uh, pay their bills on a monthly basis. But you're right. Uh, I have friends who are truck drivers that are very afraid of what's going to happen once this technology gets nailed down and, and works the way it's supposed to. I guess there's still a few bugs to work out, but it's moving more rapidly than some of us uh, care to uh, admit. And uh, I think that... Um, Technology, for instance, uh, when I was researching my book, uh, I was on the internet and I found this AI site for writers. Oh, and I thought, oh, really? what the heck? We always thought there's be something for writers to do, but <laughs> some of the stuff that this this AI cranks out is uh, just as good or better 
than the stuff I'm writing. So, um, <laughs> You've got from, from a professional point of view, I, I don't find that very comforting at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got comp- well, competition. Well, it must be amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I've got high hopes for artificial, artificial uh, intelligence and stuff like that. I mean, because I look at it from a perspective of we had these kind of issues in the past. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. Like, the industrial revolution is. The original AI yeah, revolution, it's, it's basically. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, no more bu- buggy whips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more. It's just I, I, I don't see a problem with AI, but well, but no, it, it will, it will cause problems undoubtedly. There'll be but, so many. But yeah. we, but we, yes. But just like the industrial revolution caused problems, after a while we they get sorted. We, they, they, they get sorted to some extent. Obviously, new problems arise. New problems always arise. But I, That's true. I think that this idea. That I mean, yeah, it will it will impact the working class quite a lot and the middle class. Um, Lower again, but but the, like like humans do, we'll just have to adapt. That's, will, 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 that's there, will there be? But that's s- the thing you can't. Sorry, go on. But could, could maybe we could il- totally eliminate the the. Is it a bad thing to eliminate the working class and just have <laughs> yeah. the middle class and the higher class in terms of wages? Yeah, if you're saying that wages middle class is like 50 grand plus, is that such a bad yeah. thing? To get to that point for everyone in society isn't realistic. It's not to put right. one of the things that. that my book suggests is that there are, uh, in the last chapter is called evolution or revolution. Mm-hmm. And if we can find ways uh, for people, uh, for instance, um, I, I always wanted to be a writer, but I had to work my, my uh, job at the telephone company. And uh, so, this would open a lot of venues for uh, people to uh, exercise their artistic abilities. And, and um, I, I see that as a plus, but I don't think uh, that uh, everybody's going to be able to adjust quickly. It may take yeah, a generation or so, and it's going to hurt a lot of people in the process. I don't know why we can't get out in front of it and, and uh, determine uh, what the consequences will be and how we deal with them. And part of the reason I wrote this book is not to give all the answers. It's to encourage people to have these kinds of conversations yeah. because there are smarter people than you and me out there who have ideas on how we can handle some of this. And uh, I actually have a Facebook page that's named after the, the title of the book where people can post uh, their ideas and their commentary on how we're going to handle the issues that I bring up in the book. Could you give us, obviously without spoilers, but um, maybe a few, because there's there's 25 <laughs> reasons where the, the capitalist oh, system, I see could you give us maybe a few a few of your favorite? I've always been afraid somebody would bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but, Just tease uh, us, tease us. It's got 25 chapters, so that should be a clue. <laughs> at least uh, one uh, way the system is rigged is brought up in each chapter. Yeah. Um, a couple of things I like to bring up are... Um, the uh, initial war on drugs oh. and created something called uh, Project uh, 1033. And under that mandate, uh, the Department of Defense has to sell um, some of their surplus to local law enforcement for bargain basement prices. So, for instance, my local school district owns two grenade launchers, <laughs> uh, something like 20 AK 47s. And until recently, they have an MRAP, which is a a vehicle that's supposed to be able to um, get around uh, minefields. Well, Why I, they need those, I yeah. have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, that's that's one thing that, uh, that I think needs changing. 
And another one is uh, something that we call the Powell Memo or the Powell Manifesto. Hmm. In 1971, oh. go ahead. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I've just recognized it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you did? That's good. The Powell Manifesto said that, uh, well, there was this guy named Lewis Powell. He was a judge. He had a friend who was uh, a bigwig with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And he uh, came to his judge friend and said, look, uh, all the dirty hippies and the Vietnam veterans are protesting the war and talking bad about big business. How can we win back the conversation? So uh, Lewis Powell sat down and wrote this 19-page memo about how they could go into the schools, go into the colleges, and uh, create all these think tanks to take over the conversation. Mm. And it, it, uh, it impressed Richard Nixon so much, he appointed Lewis Powell to the uh, Supreme Court. <laughs> and um, in the process, um, after Nixon, Reagan, all the Republican presidents took this uh, document to heart. And uh, Reagan actually printed it up for every member of his staff to follow and uh, it uh, it works so effectively that I recently gutted the uh, a report and uh, turned it into something that maybe uh, the American uh, labor movement can use. I took out the words big business and capitalism, put in social democracy, progressives, and labor, and uh, created a whole new document that I've sent to the head of the AFL-CIO um, labor movement in, in the U.S., and I'm waiting to get some kind of positive response that says, yes, we should do this. Nice. I don't know how long we got to wait. Certainly. He set out the blueprint to, to essentially end the free love movement, didn't he? That was tremendous. Yeah, that was part of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a crazy story. That's um, certainly interesting. Though. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you've going, so you say you've worked, um, so your, your experience in, uh, working in AT&T and telecommunications kind of inspired you to write your book, I guess, because you say it's part memoir, part, part cautionary tale. Yeah, what happened was uh, there was a long distance company, well, actually a company that was trying to get into long distance called MCI Worldcom. Yeah. And um, AT&T was blocking them at every juncture. So they filed a lawsuit against AT&T with the federal government. And um, after all this back and forth of how much fine they were going to have to pay, AT&T said, we'll pay a little fine, and we promise to break up the phone company. So in 1984, that happened. And uh, so I, I went from being in a cozy, womb-like atmosphere with Ma Bell to uh, having to uh, learn what uh, innovation and competition was all about. And uh, some companies didn't make that transition very well. Mm. But uh, eventually, we all came back together in like a uh, the uh, Terminator movie where the guy <laughs> comes back into the same shape and uh, that's what happened and uh, I, I walked in when I became a union president I walked into the largest downsizing that we had ever seen in the state of California and it, it meant uh, that all of a sudden uh, dues money dried up so we couldn't represent our members as well because the money wasn't there and it really had a, a negative impact on uh, our relationship with the company, obviously, and with our uh, our members, because they said, why can't you stop this? Why can't you uh, make them uh, not uh, get rid of so many jobs? But uh, they're dealing with their own forces, and, and all we could do was give people some walking away money, if that was the case. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, would you, so in those 
30 odd years of working there what what would you say your your verdict on that kind of part of the industry like because oh you must have seen some or worked for some pretty i mean you've you've talked about um this uh, this company trying to sell to AT&T but um, what other experiences have you got from working there and what what kind of role did you did you perform well I was uh, it was interesting I was a clueless employee when I first started with the company back in 1973 wow. uh, and um, but eventually I, I learned and I got involved in my union I got involved in my first wildcat strike where we walked out when they started bringing in computers and dropping the temperature in the room and uh, that was fun uh, <laughs> and uh, i learned that uh, that you you can't ask for everything because uh there if you can get a look at the books then you know whether or not you're hurting the company and you know what to ask for at the bargaining table but if um if everybody's keeping uh, i i went from a authoritarian type management to something called business labor partnership and at that point, I was very involved in the union and my boss saw what I was doing as a good thing. So he tried to promote me, which of course would have meant I would no longer be part of the union. Mm. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a mixed bag. But uh, I think AT&T uh, still has a lot of lessons to learn. And uh, one is that you can't use a cookie cutter approach to everywhere that you uh, operate your business. You've got to listen to your people. I think that's the main thing I learned is the, the people on the bottom know uh, what what yeah. works and what doesn't. The yeah, the, yeah. yeah the, the, uh, the people at the bottom, they're like the foundations of the whole company, aren't they? They they know exactly. Yeah, yeah. They know what's going on. They're, they're, they're living the day to day things. I mean, when I, used, right. yeah, when I used to work in a pub, I, I knew what was going on, on on like the shop floor, if you like. My manager mm-hmm. didn't have a clue because he was never there. He he would say to me, "Do this, that, and that." I can't do it because you're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. Mm. You know exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tricky. Ivory Tower, Ivory Tower. <laughs> but can I ask you a question? What what is the future of America in your worldview? And what way is it? Um, what way do you see it going? Uh, I think the pandemic has been an equalizer all around the world. Uh, but I think that uh, in order for us to get our edge back, uh, we need to um, maybe not be so worried about the numbers, the production, because I know we're, we here in this country, we, we think that we're somehow special that we have uh, something over every other country, whether it be our productivity or, or whatever it is. I think that we need to look at uh, sustained growth, uh, sustainable growth. We need to not worry so much about uh, growing exponentially so that um, uh, we hurt, end up hurting our citizens and possibly the world with environmental uh, concerns and all that. We need to um, slow, slow down a little bit and, and uh, appreciate um, uh, how we, we are different and how we are um, going to react with the rest of the world. That was one of the things I hated about Donald Trump. He thought we could go it alone, but uh, this is one big globe. You can't go it alone. Yeah, it's not possible anymore. Yeah. 
you've said on your profile, I believe, um, and just through other stuff that I've researched, you've because apart from uh, working uh, as a union member and um, obviously being an author, um, it says you've worked as like writing screenplays, being a Hollywood publicist. Is any of that ring a bell? Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind? Um, like, yeah, I've done what some you, of you involved in that. Well, I've got a couple of scripts out there making the rounds right now. Cool. Oh, wow. oh really? But you talk to anybody in LA, and they'll tell you the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse <laughs> me. The publicist thing. Uh, there was an actor back in the '60s, the uh, 1961 Best Actor Award, the Academy Awards. His name was um, Cliff Robertson, okay. and uh, I was in uh, the store one day, and, and there he was. And my girlfriend pointed him out to me, and I said, "Well, go say hello. He'll be flattered." So she went over to say hello, and they kept talking and kept talking. So I finally wandered over there and introduced myself. And then she said, well, why don't you come over for lunch tomorrow? <laughs> you don't usually ask an actor over for lunch. And he said, sure. He actually showed up the next day for lunch. Great. And we're sitting there talking. And then he turns to me and says, how'd you like to be my publicist? No way. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And this cool. was right after he played Uncle Ben in the first round of Super Spider-Man movies. That's insane. Jesus. And he just won. Yeah. Had he had he won an Academy Award at that at that point in time, or not yet? Uh, yeah, in nineteen sixty eight for a movie called Charlie. Wow, it's based on a book called Flowers for Algernon. And how long were you his pub? How long were you his publicist for? Uh, for um, give or take about a year and a half. And uh, wow, he finally decided he really needed to retire, so uh, I didn't have anything more to do. So I took on another client. And uh, she was on uh, Walking Dead for a little bit, but um, she stiffed me, so I, I ended that relationship. So now I'm representing a, an artist that uh, burns things at Burning Man. Oh, what <laughs> Oh, that's that's different. That, that's <laughs> yes, certainly a different career effort, isn't that it? That is different. Yes, yeah. it is. God, well, California um, is nothing but diverse. That's a good word for it. Yes, diverse. We're called the granola state, the land of fruits, flakes, and nuts. Oh, <laughs> yes, sir. How, how did you? So obviously, um, but by the sounds of it, this the publicist kind of game was sort of almost out of chance. But how did you? Because you, you, it seems like you get involved in loads of different stuff. I mean, like you've run for office. You've obviously worked at AT and T. You've done Hollywood. Like, how do you? keep up basically how do you how do you find all these new new exciting things to get involved in well there's all sorts of things going on here all the time yeah, and uh, it, it really depends on uh, what you want to do with your energy and time uh, i see a lot of my friends that i went to school with i just basically lay down and die because uh, they don't get, have outside interests even while i was working for the phone company i was doing some writing but once i left the phone company i had all this time to fill and uh, there's a saying that when you retire, you're busier than when you're working at a yeah. job. So and I found that to be true. I uh, head a nonprofit that uh, does things in the community for veterans and, and things like that. And uh, that's how I ended up with the artist's job, being yeah. his publicist. Uh, because th the more you network, the more you find things in common and things, uh, things that you can do to help folks out, like just talking about the the script thing yeah 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 yeah. plus i travel a lot yeah oh yeah, yeah. i mean uh, where okay well that's another avenue uh where, where's where do you travel to where, where's the places that you feel most at home away from home 
that's not the question. I'm actually looking for something more exotic. And um, my favorite place these days is Morocco. Morocco Ooh, is, Morocco. is an amazing, amazing place. And everyone Beautiful should people. go there. Yeah. Beautiful people. Yeah, they'll give you the shirt off their back. They really will. Uh, my old manager was was a Moroccan. He was a lovely man. He fought in the um, Iraq war as well. But uh, wow. yeah, he was a And tremendous. also Thailand. I've, uh, I've got friends in both places, so I actually have some place to stay if I go to either location. Yeah, <laughs> yeah t- that's th- amazing. Yeah. Thailand is on my bucket list of places to go. I've, I've, well, I can hook you up with somebody to show you around. Really? Oh, oh that would be amazing. That would be amazing. That would, I'd love that would to actually, go to that would actually go to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> God I, damn. I, to, to go, to, go, go <laughs> to Thailand and just look at because the, the 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 beaches and the seas are just amazing. Like sit there and just look out. I, I would love that. A bit. I was exactly. Um, Talking to my housemate, I'm not sure whether I want to get into the workplace um, after university or or just go traveling for yes. for a little while. What would you recommend? Traveling, traveling. That yeah. is education. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is. that was a good answer. <laughs> was a good Have you answer. been working on these? <laughs> <laughs> Have you no, been on other podcasts? No. Mark Twain said that first before I did. Oh, Mark. Well, good. Mark Twain quotes never miss. <laughs> where's the where's the craziest place you've been do you reckon america it depends on if you mean positive crazy or negative crazy both, both. <laughs> negative crazy america positive crazy thailand wow okay interesting yeah interesting What led to the foundation? Because obviously I'm very interested. I'm always interested with people that obviously as someone, no offense, your age being a, a social <laughs> Democrat in some ways is it's always interesting to me because my, my, of the, the stereotypical view is that hard right conservative, as you get older, you get more conservative. What led to the foundation of your political views? What led to you yeah. evolving in the way that you did? Have you always been this way or? I think so. I was talking about that recently to somebody from Texas where I grew up. And I said, uh, I never got along with people in Texas. And I think it was because I came out of the womb as a liberal or a progressive. And I never, it was never a good fit. Um, I, I tell people that they should constantly reassess their values and see if they're still on course with, with the way they think. And uh, one of the things I've found is that, uh, I'm not going to give in to desperation or fear that I'm going to uh, always look for ways to expand my horizons and, and travel has really helped with that because we're all basically the same and we have these conversations and you find out how much is universal and you realize that um, for the world to be a better place, you need to, to have some positive influence on it. And that's really what I'm trying to do by writing this book, by getting involved in so many different things. I, I'm trying to leave uh, something that says Dan McCrory was here. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what we can do in life. That's, that's yeah. exactly. actually, I, I agree with that a million times. You know, your, your, someone's, your mindset shouldn't be locked into one road if you like you should be open exactly to, yeah you should be open to different ideas of 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 how things should work yeah like I, I don't i could tell someone to do something i don't care how you do it as long as it, the job gets done <laughs> open your 
open the mindset of of like different different avenues and ways of things because a lot of people in this world are too tunnel tunnel vision yeah and and I, yeah go on i had a, a weird thing happen to me fairly recently um we turned our cabana bar swimming pool into an office for me and uh, oh, we yeah. had an architect come over to design it for me and uh, i said something to him and he started crying oh. and i said what's going on and he said i've had these i've been carrying these thoughts around in my head about the way things should be and until you just articulated them i didn't know anybody else had those kinds of thoughts wow. so he sort of turned me into a his spiritual guru. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. People. people have been the architect. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> what do you see with your career going forward? What, what do you want to, is there, obviously you want to achieve a legacy. Are you, are you content with just writing books or is there anything else? Obviously you've got some scripts in the work. Um, is that your projection, do you think, for your career? or I've always wanted to be a writer. I always considered myself a writer since the age of 11. And uh, to be able to write and spend so much time writing, I thank my wife for that. But actually, it's just so she can get me out of the house. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I want to, I want to make provoke thought and provoke uh, some kind of uh, change for the better in society. And and this is my way of doing it. Mm. And if I can travel and do that too, that's even better. That's what's good about writing, though. You can do that from anywhere. Mm. Get get people thinking for themselves. Don't don't uh, impose uh, your thoughts on them. Get them to think about it for themselves and and for exactly. Yeah. If you In fact, I'm even I'm even running for a position within the California Democratic Party. It's it's called uh, I'm a vice chair of the Progressive Caucus, and they're oh, the ones that nice. are principled. And, yeah, they're all. Former Bernie Kratz, so fucking we have crazy. <clears throat> that is insane. That's a high level. That's a high level position. You'll be meeting. You will be in meetings with essentially, with uh, I forgot her name, but the, the the ginger woman who does the press briefings. You'll be having discussions <laughs> oh, yes. with her. You'll be having discussions with her, and that's crass. That's a lot high position. Yeah, well, I don't know. Going we'll for see. It. Re- yeah, Let's yeah, hope. Obviously, uh, we, well, you got our votes. You got uh, our votes. If we could vote, you'd uh, vote. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll send the Russia vote on Facebook. We'll, uh, <laughs> well, I'll show that uh, Stone and Sober is behind me. Stone and Sober audience certainly wants you yeah. to succeed. I'd hate to cut this interview short, but I'm on 11%. So my uh, my laptop okay. is going gonna, is gonna to die on me pretty soon. And we've got six minutes on this interview um left i just wanted to ask quickly um because we've had a wide ranging ranging chat um you, we? Uh, yeah um, <laughs> yeah it's been great um you, you, you say you've got a new book coming out is that right or have recently had a new book it's a novel this time um do you want to just yes, like, give our called, listeners a you quick... will forever be my always nice. and it, um, it's about a guy who uh, cheats around on his wife treats his friends like crap and uh, then he finds out that he has parkinson's disease Okay. And he thinks that means that he's going to die soon. So he's trying to make amends with everybody. He goes to Morocco and Thailand. He talks to holy people from all sorts of different religions to make sure that he's going to have a place in heaven when he passes. And uh, then he comes back and goes to Texas where he grew up to try to make amends with all his old friends. And, uh, well, um, hopefully he does, but... Uh, it allowed me as a, a person with Parkinson's to sort of 
explore the the disease yeah. and the progression of the disease uh, mm -hmm. in a more detached sort of way, so yeah. that I could see uh, look at uh, symptoms that I'm uh, well, you know, if my if I have a tremor in my hand, that's just a beginning stage. It's not something to fear. Uh, mm -hmm. Most people that have Parkinson's live to ripe old ages. It just uh, makes for a messy latter part of your life. Yeah, we always obviously we're certainly set horrible to hear that. Um, and we wish you obviously all the best. Um, Thanks. But that is Parkinson's isn't a death sentence. I've got family members that have had it for 10, 15 years and they're yeah. even at, in their later stages, they're still doing all right. So it's not, yeah, it's I, not a death sentence. Exactly. But uh, they do tend to uh, shy away from things like this. Being in the public eye, yeah. being uh, yeah. on uh, international <laughs> um, <laughs> podcasts, and uh, I, I feel uncomfortable sometimes with with the way I articulate and all that. But uh, I, I'm damned if I'm going to hide away in my uh, office and, See, that's and not that's, yeah, uh, that's to have, react yeah. to the world. Yeah. There's the Texan in you. There's the Texan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Yeehaw. laughs> I'm, I'm looking for an agent. Uh, the other book is out. It's on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and a lot of local uh, um, uh, bookstores, lo uh, local yeah markets that you can get it through on uh, on the internet. And um, it's in uh, paperback, hardcover, and ebook. Uh, oh, the other one, I've got to get an agent because I hate self-publishing. You have to do it. The hard part is not writing the book. The hard part is marketing the book. Yes. And I want to get this in the hands of as many people of your generation as yeah. I can. Yeah. Well, well, I've well, just gone and bought it as yeah. we were doing the interview. So <laughs> right. I'll, I'll send you, I, I, I did just go and buy it as we were doing the discussion. I thought it was an Thank interesting Thank you. Topic. Yeah. And well, I was we'll very interested in what you have to say. We'll, we'll have a read. Hopefully Thanks there's more lot. to come from, from you soon. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll keep our, our ears to the, to the ground, see if there's any more movements from... Uh, Mr. Dan McCrory, but um, if that's okay, we're gonna we're gonna end it here. It's been great chatting to you, Dan. Same here. Thank you a lot, guys. Uh, great podcast, and, and I appreciate your your uh, thoughtful questions. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. No, it's been great having you. Seriously, having you yeah. Good, good luck in the future with all whatever avenues you pursue. I'm sure there's many. <laughs> Thank you. You too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Bye. Bye. Bye.